0: In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. So if you have your Bibles, I ask you to turn over to Mark chapter 13. We'll be looking at verses 23 to 37. And oh, yes, Junior Church. Thank you very much. Got the signal from the back. Junior Church, young people can be dismissed at this time. So Mark chapter 13, verses 23 to 37. In our time together today. High alert. Kind of hear that term a lot. Different settings I suppose. So with the pandemic that we've been facing over the last year or so. You often hear, hear the term high alert. We need to be very alert and aware of what's happening around us. That's good. It's good. If you're in the military, you certainly have had times when you've been on base, and you've been under high alert, because things could happen, and sometimes things do happen. Couldn't help but thinking, if you're living in France in June of 1944, my guess is you were on high alert. I mean, they didn't know exactly when the Allies were coming or where they were coming, but they were coming. And so, if you're a Frenchman, you're happy that they're coming for deliverance. If you're a German, not so much. So, high alert is something that doesn't just characterize the military, Or perhaps how we feel over a pandemic. In many ways, it's the way God's people are supposed to live. You hear it in the songs that we sing. Our lives are totally taken over by the wonder of Jesus Christ, aren't they? And so sometimes what we do is we look back, don't we? And we see his death, his burial, and his resurrection and his first coming... And and we focus there, and rightly so. We're going to do it today with communion. Other times we look at the fact that Christ is ascended on high. He is the king. He is over us. He is in control. And we often kind of focus there, and rightly so. And other times in Scripture, we're pointed to the future. The Christ who has come... The Christ who is over is coming back one day. And and the expression that is used in this passage repeatedly at the end, specifically in verses 32 and following, is be alert. Yeah, look back and praise God for what he has done. Recognize who he is and recognize he's coming. And be ready for that event. Do you see? So in the scripture you have different things. Well in Matthew 13 we're looking more at this thing. This part. James started this for us. Um, back two weeks ago. And did a really really nice job. Kind of giving us an overview of what's actually going on here. And if you remember. They're coming out of the temple. And um. There's, they're seeing all these beautiful buildings with all these huge stones. And basically, Jesus says, it's all going to go away. And they're going like, when's this all going to take part? And what, what, how's this whole thing going to come together? And Jesus ends up giving them a snapshot of the future in that passage. And, and we're, we're kind of right in the middle of that right now in verse 23. But I, I want to start, though, with something. Um, let's see, do we have, ah, thank you, all right, I want to try to explain this to you, and hopefully you won't get lost, and just so you know, when you talk about future things, here's what we're absolutely confident about, Jesus is coming, he will deliver his own, and he will judge the world and remake it. Now, on that one, anybody that believes the Bible is certain on that. When it comes to timing and specifics, we need to be humble. Okay, so I'm going to give you my take on this. But I just want you to know it's not always so easy, some of the specifics. Okay, just just so we're fair uh, on it. But this is one of the things that kind of helps me. You see the guy there at the bottom? He's kind of looking at these mountain peaks. And, 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 and often the way prophets would prophesy is they would prophesy about mountain peaks. And, and if you've ever gone, gone hiking, I mean, in, in my foolishness, there's been times when I've looked at a mountain peak and said, oh, yeah, there's two mountain peaks. I bet we can do both of them today. You know what I mean? What happens when you get to the top of the first peak? Oh, my goodness, look at that valley in between. I think we better just do this one today, you know? There's just huge distance. And sometimes when prophets prophesy, you find the same kind of thing. You're saying, oh, he's talking about that event, and this other event is like like right after it. But often there's a huge valley in between. Example, in Isaiah chapter 61, Isaiah is prophesying, he will prophesy about the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ as two mountain peaks right next to each other. So you're reading that, you're thinking, they're all going to happen at the same time. And folks, there's been 2,000 years between those events. So it shouldn't surprise us that when we have prophecy, they often have these peaks with... Huge valleys in between. So perhaps we could say it like this. Jesus is prophesying in 30 AD. Part of what he prophesies about in what we call the Olivet Discourse in Matthew, Mark, and Luke is what's going to happen in AD 70 with what we call the destruction of the Jewish temple. That was their question. Has to be part of it. But in talking about that, he talks about this tribulation that is worse than anything imaginable that's ever been or ever be. And in Matthew's account, he uses all kinds of language like that. A little bit more ambiguous in, in Mark. And, and so what many scholars believe is at times he's talking about A.D. seventy and the destruction coming to Jerusalem. And at other times, he's talking about the Great Tribulation, which is still future to us today. AD 70 is behind us. It was all future for them, because they got the prediction in AD 30. But we, we would now be in that valley in between. Do you see? Looking back at some things that have been fulfilled, but other things that still await fulfillment in the future. And so I think that's what you have happening here in the Olivet Discourse where you have issues related to AD 70, issues related to the Great Tribulation and Christ's coming. And, and, and again, these things are debated um, and, and, and I get that. But just so you know, that's kind of the framework that I'm moving off of. But you and I are in that valley in between those two peaks. Do you see that? And so we look back and we look future forward. So with that in mind, let's pick up here in verse 23. And and again, I don't want to redo James's message, but one of the things he did note two weeks ago, that first expression in verse 23, but take heed, in my translation it says take heed. A lot of translations use the word watch out. Open up your eyes. You know, something's coming, that, 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 that kind of a thing. That occurs four times in verse 5, verse 9, verse 23, and again in verse 33. It's what I think of when I think of that. At the beginning of every semester when I teach, I always hand out the syllabi for the semester. The students get it. I give them a hard copy, digital copy, the whole thing. And they say, look, I'm going to talk you through this syllabus. Some of you probably aren't going to hear a word I say today because you're going to think it's boring. Okay, it won't be boring when the assignments come due. So you need to listen to me, okay? I'm going to tell you. And I said, take heed. Watch. Look. It's coming. You know what happens? Yeah, you're laughing. You know exactly what happens. Some of those students, man, they're just cooking. Other students are in an absolute panic mode. I didn't know, I didn't know this was gonna happen. Well, did you did you happen to look at your syllabus? Did you go online to the website? It has something down there called due dates. Oh. You know, teachers, you know what I'm talking about? I mean, you you get and I, I can't tell you how many times, and God's given me control through the years, which is really good. I can't tell you how many times I've wanted to say stuff. Oh man, if I want to say stuff. And I've held back and I've just reiterated again the way it's supposed to be. Okay. But you know what I'm talking about, don't you? Okay. Jesus in this passage is looking ahead and he's saying, listen, watch, take heed. This is going to happen. Now, open up your eyes. And that's a lot of what we have here from verse 23 down to verse 31. And then we're going to switch gears a little bit. And in verse 32 to 37, he's going to use a different word that's sometimes translated, "Be alert. Wake up," to different ways. And that's going to dominate that section. So in this section, open up your eyes. There's stuff coming. I'm telling you now, on the syllabus, what to expect. Make sense? So what does he say? And remember again, those, um, those humps. Because Jesus is speaking in 30 AD, and sometimes he's referring to AD 70, sometimes the Great Tribulation. It's, it's not always easy to determine between those, fair enough. But take heed. Behold, I have told you everything in advance. Verse 23. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. And the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers that are in the heavens will be shaken. And then... They will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And th- then he will send forth the angels and will gather together his elect from the four winds. From the farthest end of the earth to the farthest end of the heaven. That's everywhere, folks. Okay. Now learn, and, and, and just go to that part. So, so, so there in verse 23 to 27... Jesus, as he's saying, look, take heed, he's pointing them forward to a climactic time of tribulation followed by the clearly evident return of Christ. And to do it, he goes back and he has imagery from the book of Isaiah and specifically quotes from the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 7. And he says, there is a time when the Son of Man is coming. And in that future time when he comes, nobody's going to question, hey, I wonder, I wonder if this is it or not. You know, maybe you know, things are pretty rough right now. Gas is over $3 a gallon. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, that's not what we're talking about here. Like, man, if it goes to four, we're talking cataclysmic. Now, I mean, that's not the point. Now, when when this event happens, when Christ comes back, at what we call the end of the tribulation period, this this time of tribulation at the end of the age, I mean, no one's no one's going to have any questions like, is that Jesus or not? Oh no, this is it, and He will take His saints who have struggled and many of which have been martyred during that time period, and He will gather His people together. And They will end up going into what we call the millennial period, but those that are against Christ will be destroyed in that moment. So he looks forward and he says, "Look, this is all coming. Now don't set dates. Oh my goodness. Through the ages, people try to set dates. It's not our job to set the dates. It's our job to know in God's time it's coming. We need to live. As if it could have happen at any time. But we need to live without trying to determine exactly when that is. It's not our job. Even though people have tried to do that. So he says, be watching. Because at the end of that period, Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords will come. Gather his people and he'll destroy all his enemies. Okay? So he looks at this ultimate, this second hump, if you will. The sa- second mountain peak. Climactic time. In verses 28 to 31, and this is also debated. This is one of the hardest passages in the Gospels, frankly, some of the things here to to fully understand, but I'm going to give you my take on it. Verses 28 to 31, a precursor in AD 70 that the return of the Lord is imminent. Look at what he says. Now learn the parable of the fig tree. When its branches has already become tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. Now, folks, you kind of know that now a little bit, don't you? My wife and I are driving down, and we say, oh, look, finally these buds are turning into something. Right? It's all around us. We love the springtime, which means summer's coming. You know? When you see the spring stuff, guess what's right around the corner? The summer stuff. I mean, that's just... Kind of how it works. You don't don't go from spring to, 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 to winter. You go from spring to summer. So learn that parable. When it puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. Even so, you too, when you see these things happening, recognize that he is near right at the door. Truly, I say to you, This generation will not pass away until all things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. When he says this generation will not pass away until these things occur, what in the world is he talking about? My, literally the Greek word gen, that's translated generation here is just the word kind, okay? And he says, this kind of people will not pass away until all these things happen. Now, it could be talking about the present generation. It's used that way often in the scriptures. It could also be talking about a kind of people, people that are, are, rebel against Christ, people that are for Christ, You're going to find these kinds of people in every age, on all the mountain peaks. And it's hard to be real definitive on it, to be honest with you. Now, personally, I think he's still looking at AD 70 here. I think what he's saying is this. Look, that first mountain peak... This peop, The people living right now, you are going to find that it happens exactly the way I said it would happen. And when you get over that mountain peak, the next event, whenever it comes, is the coming of Christ. Now, we've been waiting a long time for that. But there's nothing else that has to be happening. It's... It's what's next on the scene. I lean more that direction than the other, but there's good scholars that have gone both ways on this. Here's the point. If Jesus has already been reliable on what's going to happen in AD 70, which the disciples didn't know yet. We do because we're post-70, right? Do you see? If Jesus can be trusted on what happened in AD 70 and it happened... We can trust him on what's going to happen in light of the great tribulation and the second coming. So the precursor, the setup, the first item tells us we can trust him for the second item. So one leads to the other. So I would argue that in this passage, that's what he's saying. He's saying, look, folks, folks, God is unfolding his plan. You're not going to stop it. Don't try to figure out all the timing because you won't be able to. It's not your job. But God is unfolding his plan. Jesus said this is going to happen. It happens in AD 70, which means something similar, but at a great, a much larger climactic level, is going to happen at some point in the future. I don't know when, but it's going to happen. And I want my people to be alert for both this... And this. And in that process of living in the valleys, you're gonna hear about earthquakes and you're gonna hear about famines. And can I say this? You're gonna hear about pandemics. And you're gonna hear about war. And you're gonna hear about all these issues. It's just part of life. Doesn't mean it is the end, it just means we're not at the end yet. So don't be surprised by that. And recognize something else he tells his people. As you're living in light of these realities, you're going to be given all kinds of opportunities to share the gospel. Will, will you take them? Oh, there's going to be opposition. And frankly, at times, in certain places, it's going to be intense. Intense. But God will give you the opportunity and his spirit will empower you with the words to know what to say when you need to say it. So while you're waiting, we don't just, you know, sit around like this. No, no. We are working and moving and we're on mission. But we're not getting distracted by other kinds of things because something has happened in AD 70. Something will happen in the future. And you and I living in the valley need to live in light of that. We need to be ready. We need to be prepared. We need to be on mission. We need to be passionate about Christ and his purposes. Knowing in his time, he will come. So that's kind of the, 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 the first movement. Where I, where I kind of want to hang out a little bit is on the second movement, which begins in verse 32. Because the word he's going to use, he uses two different Greek words here, the one three times, the other one just once. But there, there's a fair amount of overlap. And, and, and what, what the words mean are, based, what the two words mean are, be alert, be alert. And 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 really watching and active, it's it's an active alertness. So that's why I use the word be, be on high alert. Listen to what he says in verse thirty-two. But of the day, of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the sun, but the Father alone. So, take heed or be watchful. Keep on the alert, for you do not know when the appointed time is. Sometimes verse 32 takes you back a little bit, doesn't it? Because one of the things you find out, when Jesus makes this prediction in AD 30, does he know when he's going to come back? What's the text say? No. You go, whoa, 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 whoa. I thought... He's the God-man. He is. He's deity. Yep. And humanity. Yep. At the same time. Got it. But this text tells me, and we see it in other, other areas too, when Jesus became the God-man, he was God of God he always God. When he became human, he chose to limit some of his divine attributes. He was always holy, he was always pure, he was always loving. But he chose in his humanity not always to know everything, but even to submit that to his father. Now, Jesus knows now. But at this point in his humanity, he was saying, this event in the future that's coming is something that only God the Father at this point in AD 30 knows about. That's an amazing statement. Which means you and I aren't going to be able to figure it out. The angels don't have it figured out. Jesus at that point didn't have it, didn't, chose not to know it. You know what drives me crazy? This has been happening for hundreds of years. Where on the one hand, I really love the fact that you've got people that are saying, hey, Christ is coming back. I'm going like, yeah, I'm all over that one, Right? But then they followed up by saying, and we know when. And I'm not all over that one. Because this passage says that can't be the case. There's a fellow that... he ended up taking over for Isaac Newton back in 1700s at, I think it was Cambridge or Oxford, I don't remember, as the professor of mathematics there. He also translated through and translated for us a version of Josephus, which people have used for hundreds of years. In the early 1700s, William Whiston gave a list of 99 reasons why Jesus is coming back in the early 1700s. Well, that one didn't quite work real well. In 1988, there was a book written, 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming Back in 1988. It didn't happen, so they revised it for 1989. And I don't know, I think there may have been a 1990 version. I don't remember, but, but whatever. Yeah, you know, I mean... And then maybe you guys remember 1994 with Harold Camping. Do you know that name? Who then made another prediction. May 21st, 2011, Jesus is coming back. And I remember that very closely. And I remember those, those days. I mean, and and, and here, here was my dilemma. On the one hand, I, I said to myself, I really like the fact that Camping saying Jesus is coming. And like, I thought that, that was really good. What I didn't like is that he was saying when he was coming. Because I have no idea. And anybody that tells you to do, they don't either. You know what happened when he didn't come on May 21st? He pushed it to October 21st. And that was too late after that. I remember listening to him some on the radio, trying to backpedal and all that. He's destroyed the ministry that that he had tried to establish and ended up dying. Uh, He was an older man anyway. I, I, I don't know, whatever. And... And I thought to myself, what's the guy doing? The text says you don't know the day or the hour. He was saying, yeah, but you can know the week. Really? I mean, come on. Do you think that's what it's saying? No. So we are alert and ready for it. But that doesn't mean we sell everything we have and we go out to a mountain somewhere and we say, okay, it's happening on the 3rd of June. And we all sit around waiting for, for Christ to show up. That's just plain foolish. What we do is we get up every day of our lives. And we say, maybe today this all starts. But Lord, whether it does or not, I will live in a way that's alert And I will do your work until it comes. Wherever I am at work with my family, I'm going to go. I'm going to live life, but I'm going to live life for you. In light of the fact that it can come anytime. See, that's the balance. And the problem is, after camping and these guys did all this kind of thing, what you find is people react against it. And they go like, we don't even want to talk about the coming of Christ right now. This loony guy messed everything up. People don't even want to talk about it because it's a joke. I remember reading an article, my my wife and I were reading from the Washington Post back when this happened. And for them, it was an absolute joke. Isn't it? He was supposed to come in May, didn't happen. Kid's supposed to come in October, didn't happen. (laughs) I guess he's not coming. No, that's the wrong conclusion. Because we were never told to fix a date. We were told to live in light of it. And that's the difference. So in this passage, he says, open your eyes. AD 70 has happened. That means something else is going to happen. You're in the valley. Fair enough. But live in light of that. And don't set a date for it. It's not your job. Rather, be ready. Look at what he goes on to say in the text. Verse Verse 34. It is like a man away on a journey, who upon leaving his house and putting his slaves in charge, assigning to each one his task, also commanded the doorkeeper to stand on the alert. So, you know, if you're living in antiquity and you have a a nicer home, you, you would have a whole host of house workers and slaves working for you, and you'd have a guy at the door. That guy's job is to watch who comes in and watch who goes out. And you make all these decisions based on the fact that, look, at some point, the master's coming back, and I don't want to do something foolish. So I'm just, I'm just, I'm there, I'm watching for him to come, and I'm doing my job. That's, that's what he says. All these slaves, before the master left, he gave them all responsibilities. You know what they're doing? They're just doing their job. They're working. They're saying, see, what would my master want me to do today? Well, that's what I'm going to do. Is he coming back today? I don't know. Maybe. Doesn't matter. I'm just going to do what my master wants me to do. You're the doorkeeper. Is he coming today? I don't know. I'm going to be ready in case he does, and I'm going to make good decisions all day as if he was. Do you see? That's what the doorkeeper does. That's what the slaves do. They're alert. They're ready. They're not fixing dates. If some slave came up and said, I believe he's coming back tomorrow. The doorkeeper would have said, we don't know when he's coming back, bud. Just get back to work. That's what he would have said. That's how you're supposed to live. You don't fix a date. You honor the Lord you love. But when he comes, you're not going to go like, oh, no, now what? Look what he goes on to say. So it's like a man goes away on this journey. He also commanded the doorkeeper to stay on the alert. Same word. That, That drives this whole passage. Verse 35. Therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming. Whether in the evening, at midnight, at cock crowing, or in the morning, and he's looking at the four times of the evening—roughly from six to nine, nine to midnight, midnight to three in the morning, three to six—and he's just saying, "Look, you have no idea when he's coming, and you know what? You don't have to know when he's coming." You only have to know that he's coming and be faithful today as if it might be today. That's pretty simple, isn't it? I'm not saying it's easy to do, but it's simple to understand. You be faithful today knowing that he could come. And you get up tomorrow morning with the same attitude. And some people look and say, well, that's kind of strange. People have been doing this for 2,000 years. You're right, we have. But we know from Peter that a thousand years with God is as what? A day, and a day is as a thousand years. See, God's not on our timetable. Yeah, but I mean, if I was God, I would be, well, but you're not, and I'm not either. And it's not my job. I'm not, it's not my job to know the when. It's my job to realize the who and the reality of the fact. And to live in light of that. What he does then... In verse 35... After he kind of gives the story... Um, well, Chris, I've already read it... But he, 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 he moves it from a story about... This guy out there... That's the doorkeeper... And these servants... To actually to us... He's making the application... Therefore, you be on the alert... Because you don't know when your master is coming... Lest he come suddenly... And find you asleep. When I was in college. Um, I needed a job for the summer. So I found a local security job. And there was a brand new. I, of course they're going out. Bambergers. They became Macy's. And I don't know. Is Macy still around? I don't know. Whatever. But it was the old Bambergers. Um, up near Philly. And they needed some some guys to be there third shift just to make sure nobody broke in and took any of the items in there. And so on. I took the job for three months. Oh, I hated it. Because it was third shift. Now, look, if you work third shift, God bless you. And may, may, may your tribe increase. <laughs> but um, man, I do not like working third shift. You know, everybody else is going to bed, and I'm going to work at Bamberger's. Um, And I'll tell you, you every hour you'd have to walk around with your flashlight, make sure nobody's anywhere in there. And then you go back, and I'd sit at the station. It it was the hardest thing in the world to stay awake. Now, I did something that I'm not saying you shouldn't do this, but I did did, did do it. Um, I figured if the boss comes, I need to be ready. So I booby-trapped the doors with metal bars, and, and they were tile floors. So if anybody so much as touches those things, bang, bang, clang, clang, all over the place. Sure enough, man, I was out. I was out cold, man. I was, and all of a sudden, bang, bang, bang. I'm you know, smacking my face. And, all, and the guy comes in and says, hey, man, what's up with all those uh, pipe things? And I'm like, Well, you know, I don't even know what I said. i kind of trying kind to of slide around it. But, 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 man, it's easy at night to fall asleep, folks. Are there any allurements and temptations in our world that make us fall asleep? Kind of redirect our focus. Yeah, we know Christ is our Lord and Savior. We trusted him as our Lord and Savior. But we're just kind of caught up in life. And you have to live life. You don't stop living life. We live life. But you get so caught up to it. It's as if you're asleep. Christ comes to take his people, man, you're going to be going like this, but you won't have time. And this text says, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep, sleep, be alert. Be actively watching. And then, so nobody misses the, the message. He expands it in verse 37. Look at what he says. And what I say to you, I say to all. Be on the alert. Over in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, wonderful book, 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, talks a lot about the coming of Christ. But even the way he defines Christians in chapter 1 is fascinating to me. Let me just read it to you. You you can turn there if you want, but you don't have to. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 9 they themselves report about, about us, what kind of reception we have with you. Listen to this. How you turn to God from idols to serve a living and true God. Isn't that what happens when you become a Christian? You're going your own way, doing your own thing, and all of a sudden the reality of the death, burial, resurrection of Christ overwhelms you. And you realize it's not about what I do It's not my performance. All I can do is turn away from every other false god that I've tried to worship at their shrine and nothing has ever worked. My life is empty. I have no meaning. It doesn't work. It's a broken cistern. And I've turned from that and I accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior and God became my father. And now he says, so he says, look, that, that's, that's how we live. You turn to God from idols to serve a living and true God. And look at verse 10. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. That is Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Paul is working right off of what Jesus says in the Olivet Discourse in chapter 5. Let me just read it. Here are the words of Paul to Christians. Listen to what he says. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 1. Now, as to the times and epics, brethren, you do not need of anything to be written to you. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. And although we didn't read that in the Mark's account, you do read it in Matthew's account, that imagery of the thief. While they're saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly suddenly like birth pangs upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you like a thief. For you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of the night nor of darkness, so then let us not sleep as others do, but let us Be alert and sober. Verse 9. For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. The next event that I'm looking for is the coming of my Lord. And again, I know some of these things are debated but I think Christ is going to come for us as people and then initiate this time of wrath called the Great Tribulation. And God calls us as his people Not to live as if that's not true, but to be caught up with the reality what's happened in AD 70 is going to happen in the future and Christ is going to come. He's going to deliver his people. He's ultimately going to come back and judge the world in concert with that whole day of the Lord scenario. And he wants us to be ready. One other thing, if you don't mind me mentioning this, how are we doing for time? Okay, I guess. I don't know, what time did I start? Whatever that's a scary thing okay here we go can i mention one other thing to you real quick we didn't look at matthew's account but here's one of the things that really takes me back i think it's really interesting sometimes what happens when it comes to prophecy about the future is people get so bound up in trying to understand what all the details mean and it doesn't mean we shouldn't wrestle with all that i i believe me believe me i do what it means is, um, let's don't just think that prophecy is about filling my head so I can fill out a chart. It really isn't. It's to show you the basic realities that are coming. And what happens when Matthew writes his his account, only one-third of Matthew's Olivet Discourse, we're reading in Marks now, this is Matthew's, only one third of it he covers the same he covers the same ter- territory where he gives information about what's going to happen. But you know what he does? Two thirds of what Matthew gives us is exhortation for us to be alert and ready. That to me is amazing, because at the end of the day, God will tell me about that, so I will live different today does that make sense and that great reality in the future then shapes me not to get caught up in this world to live in this world for the glory of god absolutely and not to isolate live in it evangelize be with people love all that stuff but do it all in light of the fact that he's coming does that make sense so stay alert Unlike me when I was a security guard. Stay alert in anticipation of the Lord's return. Because of your confidence in God's unfolding redemptive plan. Folks, Christ has come. AD 70 has happened. The future is coming. And we're in the valley. How will we live in the valley in light of the next mountain peak? How should living on high alert shape our future plans, our present decisions, our time commitments, our relationships, our evangelism? We take a moment and think about that. I'm going to pray. And when I pray, there's going to be a moment of silence. I'm not going to say anything. And will you pray to God during that time period? Maybe Maybe your prayer will sound like this. Maybe your prayer will be, God, this is kind of scary, all this Jesus stuff. I need Christ as my Savior. I pray that you'll forgive me of all my sins and make me your child. That's where it's got to start because this stuff all makes me like real nervous. That would be a great prayer. Pray it. But, but maybe you already know Christ as your Lord and Savior. Yeah, man, I believe death, burial, resurrection, Christ has ascended. He's, he's the king and he's coming back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you say, you know what, Doug? I've, I've lost that edge of really believing that that's where everything is moving. And I've got caught up in the here and now, and I really have forgotten about that. That maybe your prayer is more God- would you let me refocus? My family member that doesn't know you, my coworker that doesn't know you, Lord, let me be intentional about looking for opportunities to get together with them and share the wonder of the gospel. Maybe, maybe it will impact your wallet. And you go, man, all I'm thinking about It's one vacation after another, and now all of a sudden you say, maybe I should be thinking about mission trips and missionaries. You know, my husband, my wife, my kids, they're a pain in the neck, and they should be doing this, and they should be doing that, and I don't like this, and I don't like that. And all of a sudden, this reorients everything. Because at the end of the day, this is so short, and Christ is everything. And it changes the way my relationships are. Do you see? Because I'm not living for that. I'm living for him. And when I live for him, the one that's coming, he gives perspective on what I do today. When I get up in the morning, it's God. It's you. I just want you to be everything. You're in control of the whole thing. It's you. So maybe your prayer looks something like that. I don't know what your prayer looks like exactly. But as we go to prayer, I'm going to give you about 20 or 30 seconds, and I'm not going to say a thing. And then I'll close out our time. But would you talk to God silently for the next 30 seconds? Let's pray. Father, it is a great joy to be able to call you Father. Wow. The God of the universe is our Father. Only because of Jesus Christ. We are accepted because of the beloved Jesus Christ. Lord, for that we rejoice greatly. We thank you that you have been so kind to us. We thank you, Lord, although you're the God over all, you're the God with us. Emmanuel, what a beautiful thing. Father, forgive us. Forgive us for being people as if there is no future. As life as we live it is all that matters. Father, rather, you have talked about this period. You've talked about AD 70. You talked about what we should be experiencing. You know it all. And you know where it's all going with the coming of Christ. The day of the Lord. Father, will you do your good work in our hearts? Will you refocus us? so that we passionately are men and women who are faithful now, who live lives that are on high alert. Because you could come at any time. So Lord, if you do that good work in our lives, we will rejoice. And it was worth being together today. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.